The epistle reading for today is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 27. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot were to say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear were to say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as God chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those members of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe with greater honor. Our less respectable members are treated with greater respect, whereas our more respectable members do not need this. But God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior member, that there may be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and redeemer. Amen. A happy consequence of participating in online seminary courses is the opportunity to learn alongside people from different areas of the country and with different perspectives. And one thing that I've realized is that the number of baptisms in our congregation is comparatively unusual. It's helped me appreciate this aspect of God's work in the life and witness of our congregation. Even a global pandemic didn't slow us down. Since January 2020, there have been 66, congrega- 66 baptisms in our congregation, and Bill today makes 67. God continues to be at work in our midst. All these baptisms have made me think about what it means to be baptized. Baptism is something God does before is ever about what we do or how we respond. Our directory of worship affirms that baptism is a sign of God's gracious covenant with the church. In this new covenant of grace, God makes us holy and whole. Baptism enacts and seals what the word proclaims, God's redeeming grace offered to all people. Through baptism, the Holy Spirit gives the church its identity and commissions the church for service in the world. Baptism is the bond of unity in Jesus Christ. When we are baptized, We are made one with Christ, with one another, and with the church of every time and place. In Christ, barriers are overcome, 
and we are called to seek reconciliation in the church and world. I think baptism is a gift we may need to pay more attention to. Here in our congregation, we frequently participate in the sacrament through infant baptism. We welcome little ones into the faith, and we promise to care for them and their families as they grow. I think we cherish these sacred, happy moments in the worship service. This is a gift. But do we continue to think about it when we walk out the North X door or turn off the live stream? Do we consider what it means to live as baptized people? Our text today helps us with this question. Paul writes to the believers in Corinth, we were all baptized into one body and all made to drink of one spirit. Notice the verse doesn't say we baptized ourselves into one body. No, we were baptized. Who does this? Well, as in every Sunday school lesson, the correct answer is always God. A core affirmation as Presbyterians is that baptism is God's gift of grace. Baptism is the work of God. Paul writes, we were all made to drink. Another way to express this phrase might be, we were all made to be watered, like a hydrangea in the middle of July or a person finishing the bridge run. Baptism's gift is to quench our thirst, nourish our hunger, and grow us individually and collectively into the body of Christ. Baptism offers wholeness and binds us in relationship with Christ and with each other. Here we are planted in a new garden, a garden of belonging. If baptism is God's gift of grace and God has put us here to grow and be nurtured, then why does our experience sometimes feel so different? The last few years have uncovered tensions on many fronts, from worldwide health crisis to spiking political pugnacity to entrenched economic polarities. There is ample opportunity to find ways to separate ourselves from one another. As the volume of discourse grows louder and louder, people seem to grow further and further apart. It's exhausting. On top of all of that, our Mount Pleasant congregation has experienced conflict within the church, leaving tendrils of hurt in our midst. Disagreements and individual agendas have divided us. A collective vision seems elusive. Leaders have disappointed us. We have argued with our friends. And though this brokenness, brokenness is, and through God's grace being mended in every new day as individuals seek God's will for the church and live into forgiveness and reconciliation, the reality is that hurt and separation do not magically evaporate. But as it turns out, trouble within the body of Christ is not new. Indeed, Paul is writing this letter to believers in Corinth because he has received reports that this community, who he lived with for over a year and whom he loves, has fallen into bickering and divisiveness. They are drawing lines and taking sides with one leader over another. They are turning inward, forgetting their baptism. Paul is a practical theologian, and he wants, for the sake of the gospel, to help. In a commentary on 1 Corinthians, John Proctor points out that Paul finds this church a difficult group of people to deal with. <laughs> Division in the church may have come from within the local culture at Corinth, as if there's a gene in the city's social DNA that 
fosters dispute and division. Christians in the city learned these habits almost instinctively and took up this pattern of behavior in the church without even thinking. By focusing their faith more directly on Christ, Paul wants to knit the various personalities together as one church so that they will discover again the unity to which Christ calls them and live into an understanding that to be the body of Christ is to be connected with one another. Their challenge is our challenge. How do we live as baptized people amid brokenness? To this, Paul suggests that we consider the body. The body does not consist of one member, but of many. Now, the student of preaching is taught that analogies, examples, and metaphors can help a sermon's message be more concrete and relatable. So how generous of the text to help me out with this one. The body is a useful analogy that probably makes sense to most of us, as it did to those in the first century. We don't have to work hard to imagine what a body looks like or to understand what the parts of a body are. We can also probably imagine that there are parts of the body we'd rather not be. I mean, who wants to be an armpit? (laughs) Maybe it's obvious to us that one part of the body, like the hand, belongs to the body as a whole. And so we understand that as individuals, we belong to a whole, whether it's a congregation, a town, or the world. On another level, as Christians, we can recognize its theological applications. Next Sunday, as we enter the season of Advent, we begin the church year in anticipation of God's coming in the form of a body. Each time we celebrate communion, we affirm that Jesus' body is present, not as a physical one that our earthly bodies can see or touch, but sacramentally, as the bread is offered from the Lord's table with words like these, take and eat Christ's body broken for you. Lynn McDonald takes the body analogy even further in his book, The Disciple-Making Church, that many of us have been studying this fall. Pastor McDonald suggests that like DNA's essential role within an organism, God has implanted spiritual DNA in each of us. Our belonging in the body of Christ is imprinted in our hearts and minds. Our belonging to one another is part of our makeup. Paul writes, As it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as God chose. God, the great arranger. Can we put ourselves in or take ourselves out of relationship with each other? Apparently not. We are harmonized by God. Paul goes even further. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Just so, when we are arranged into belonging by God, there are no terms and conditions. There's no fine print allowing one member to say to another, I don't need you. Paul writes, God has so arranged the body to give the greater honor to the inferior member. God, the great arranger. Are we to decide how honor is dispensed? Apparently not. The sorting and stacking is up to God. And more than that, God's arrangement removes divisions so that members may have mutual concern for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Last week, on a chilly afternoon after school, my teenage son and I were enjoying cups of hot tea at the kitchen counter. His, Monica, honey, mine, Yogi, ginger. 
There was intermittent slurping and generous gaps of com in conversation, which gave my mind plenty of time to wander, which helped me notice the message dangling on a thread from my teacup. Find your unity in your service to all. Whoa, wasn't I working on a sermon about this very idea? Unity just might be found when we serve expansively, care generously, and in Paul's words, remain together in both suffering and rejoicing. God has arranged us so that we might have unity. Does this mean that we will agree on everything? I don't think Paul suggests that. To live in unity means that we recognize that we need each other. This sounds good. Yet I suspect that sometimes we do think we can care for ourselves. Sometimes the patterns of our lives suggest that we do believe we don't need to listen to the person with whom we disagree. Sometimes we might even tell ourselves that we aren't needed. Maybe in our efforts to make do, we have come to believe that we actually can do without belonging to each other. And this is where the body analogy comes apart, literally. I think we know these stakes. I think we live through them. But when we acknowledge that to be whole is to remain in our belonging with each other, we begin to more deeply understand what Paul suggests it means to live as baptized people. We begin again to experience what it means to live in community as persons who have been gathered together by the Spirit to be the church. We remember that if it is up to us, we come apart. In the middle of the 14th century, Europe was grappling with the reality of a different pandemic known as the Black Death. Along with that, England and France were at war, and in Rome, two popes were accusing each other of being the Antichrist. In England, food shortages and labor conflicts had raised tensions to the point of widespread looting and violence. Things were not looking good. In the midst of that, a girl was born and grew up in the busy port city of Norwich. As a six-year-old walking to St. Julian's Church, dust kicked up by the hearse carts was part of the air she breathed. Later, as a young woman, she herself became ill, to the verge of death. Yet she recovered and spent her life in rooms attached to the same church, writing and working to share her vision of the reality of God's love in the midst of brokenness. This is the same woman whom we know as Julian of Norwich, whose courage and prophetic imagination enabled her to offer these well-rubbed words, all shall be well, all shall be well, all manner of things shall be well. A little closer to home, Duke Divinity School offers resources to congregations and lay leaders through their online faith and leadership platform. Thriving Congregations Director Kelly Ryan tells a story of finding a transformation in an unexpected place, a church committee. <laughs> For real, she says. What made this committee different was a palpable sense of hope genuine affection for one another, and an understanding of the holy responsibility of doing God's work together. Their work began with trusting God, and it began with, I think, a very good question. What do you love about this place, this congregation, this community, your family even? What do you love? 
When we turn our hearts to this question, I think we open an opportunity for building authentic relationship, enabling us to move into wrestling with the things that divide us. In 2020, two congregations in the Philadelphia area were exploring separately how to more fully live into Matthew 25's charge to feed the hungry, welcome the stranger, and visit the imprisoned. As it turns out, these two faith communities, about an hour's drive apart, one black, one white, one with about 45 members, and one with about 1,500, also learned about needing each other. It began in an unlikely place, a segregated cemetery, and it led to a joint Bible study between the two congregations. Those involved with the study said that the only way it has been possible to overcome existing barriers is to trust God to be vulnerable with each other and to be willing to enter the hurt spaces that separate them. In this way, instead of being a Bible study between two congregations, it has become one. The clerk of session of the smaller congregation put it this way, we have to understand that we need each other, that we can't make it without each other, and I truly believe God is in the midst. I believe that too. There not, might not be a Paul or Julian of Norwich in every age, but in every time and place, there are ordinary people in ordinary congregations who guide, encourage, and support each other as they together seek to live into God's will for the whole community, even in the midst of brokenness even when we are divided by disagreement, even when all we have to hang on to is trusting God. Today, I invite you to look at one another and say with your lives, I need you. Today, I invite you to live as people called to come together, not come apart. God, the great arranger, is trustworthy. God who nourishes us and puts us into relationship with one another has the capacity to heal and restore all manner of brokenness and invites, no, calls us to live as a spiritually united people. Just like the first century Christians in Corinth, we can trust God to be with us now and in the unfolding reign of God's kingdom. Thanks be to God.